Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine, that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor John Andrade is preaching through Daniel chapter 7, and the sermon title is, Greater is He Who is in You. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Pierce through our hearts, which are so easily distracted. God, we're always... um, tempted to have various distractions, prevent the word from even nestling into our hearts and changing us. So God, I pray that you would help our hearts to focus by your Holy Spirit on your word, that you would teach us incredible things. Um, Your word is true. Give us a revived love and um, passion to hear your word and to explore it and see your word change our lives. Please bless us today. God, we love you. I thank you for every person here. Bless each and every soul here, Lord. Be with me as I preach and be among us uh, mightily, Lord. We pray by your Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. um, So, yeah, my name is John, John Andrade. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in Daniel. We're going through the book of Daniel uh, together as a congregation, and it's been an incredible blessing. Um, Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about one particular subject. Um, We're going to be talking about the Antichrist. We have a huge, uh, more than I will be able to really convey into this sermon. There was so much I was chopping off and saying, I wish I could include all this, but that's part of the burden of being a preacher is you got to find what's going to be on the dinner plate for the congregation. And so there's a lot that's left behind, um, no pun intended, but we will be able to, if you want to, continue the conversation, talk with us. Come speak. I would love to have conversations with you. Um, Praise the Lord. But I'm going to try to do my best covering this subject right here. Uh, The Antichrist. Um, And as I said, we're going through Daniel. We're going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we're in the chapter 7. And we're camping out here for a little bit, actually. We're probably going to be here for a total of six, seven weeks uh, because of the fact that there is so much in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, that impacts the rest of our reading of the book of Daniel, but also impacts really how we see a lot of other things in the scriptures. There's so much else that we will... Um, depending on how we understand the book of uh, Daniel, even chapter 7, it has implications that go pretty far. So we're going to try to camp out on some themes and subjects um, in the book of Daniel. Um, and today it's going to be the Antichrist. Um, as we said in the beginning, um, when we got into Daniel, um, Daniel kind of is a book that's very deep. It's a book with a deep end in it. And as we've kind of been saying a lot in the book of Daniel, our Revelation Bible study has also said this. There's a point when you reach these books of prophecy, dreams, and visions that you kind of notice that you've reached the deep end. All of a sudden, you are walking in the pool. You feel like the, the ground beneath you, but then it just kind of drops. And next thing you know, you're in a deep, deep pool, and it's easy to drown in a book like this, and especially in chapter 7 of Daniel. You can drown in this chapter. Um, and so I want to just quickly remind us of some of the themes of the book of Daniel so that every person here can be blessed, whether you're new to the faith and you're just like, Daniel is crazy, I'm lost, or whether you're a believer who's been a believer 50, 60, 70 years, you will still cling to these main themes. And the way we can look at these, they're like buoys at the top of the water that we can all swim up to and cling to them, hold on to them, and say, all right, I can, I can cling to this. I'm going to catch my breath and dive deep down into the waters and explore some deep things, but I'm always going to come back to these things so that I don't drown in some of this stuff. There are people who just spend their whole Christian faith only studying prophecy, only studying end times, and it's a wonderful thing to study. We're going to be studying some of that today. But nonetheless, if we're robbing ourselves of some of the essential things, I think we can really 
need to come up for some oxygen at times. So I'm just going to remind us of some of the themes in the book of Daniel and also that are really prevalent in the whole book of the Bible, all 66 books of the scriptures. Um, First is that God is sovereign. We're seeing that over and over in the book of Daniel. God is sovereign. God is in control. No matter what the nations and empires rise up and how big and powerful they are, Jesus Christ is sovereign. There's nothing that is catching him off guard. He knows everything, and we've been applying that to our lives constantly because some of us, In our lives as believers, as just simple human beings, our world gets crazy. And it's a blessing to know our God is in control. Nothing is catching him off guard. He sees us. We're in his hand. And nothing is taking him by surprise, whether it be grand-scale empires, whether it be worldwide pandemics and all of these things, nations rising up against each other. Jesus Christ is in control always in control, and that's something that we can cling to and hold on to and say, praise the Lord, I can hold on to that in my life. Um, Next thing is that evil exists. The temptation of evil exists, but we are called to serve the Lord. There's always going to be something tempting you, drawing you away into wickedness and debauchery, sinful things that are not of the Lord, but we as a people are called to serve the Lord. We're to cling to the Lord cling to him, look to him, run to him, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, turning away from temptations. That's a theme in the book of Daniel and also all of Scripture. Another big theme is that we are a people who worship God and we forsake idols. We worship God and forsake idols. There's a lot of idols, idolatry in the book of Daniel, big giant statues made, people bringing out holy vessels and bringing them out and saying, let's, you know, drink to the plethora of the heavenly hosts of uh, false gods and we're going to do that. Daniel's like, no. Our brothers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no. We're not having that. We worship the Lord. We don't care what you do to us. You are not getting us to bend or waver. We are a people who worship the Lord. We are a people who worship the Lord, and we turn away from idols. We got to do that. I'm not going to preach that, but uh, let the Holy Spirit preach that to you. Um, Next one is world kingdoms are temporary. And I think that we need to constantly be reminded of that. World kingdoms are temporary. There's so much of a temptation that will cause us to fix our eyes on the temporary things of this world, saying that's a grand scale kingdom right there. I want to align myself with the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, and and nothing wrong with having understandings and camps that you put yourself in. But at the end of the day, I understand that the Republican Party, Democrat Party, the Babylonian Empire is going to be nothing and forgot about, and no one will know anything about that in eternity because our Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, his name is eternal forever and ever and ever. Um, and so when it comes to these types of things, um, we need to be reminded the kingdoms of this world are temporary. It's not anything to put your stock in. It's going to burn. All of it. It's going to burn. Every empire is going to burn. You can't name, besides outside of probably Darius, uh, one person who is uh, a king of the Medo-Persian Empire. It's a massive empire of that day. You don't know anything about it. And that's fine because that's kingdoms crumble. They fall and they fade away, but the name of Jesus Christ stands forever and ever and ever. And so that gives us to our last theme, which is God's kingdom is eternal. God's kingdom is eternal. What we put our hope in and our trust in is a a God who is faithful all through this life, but also into eternity. He is an eternal God. Praise the Lord for that. We're part of an eternal kingdom. One will never fade, never perish, never be corrupted. Jesus Christ is king. Um, So just with that, we can like cling to some of these buoys and remind ourselves that we don't have to drown in the book of Daniel. We can cling to these buoys, these main themes, but we can still dive deep 
And there are some Christians who are like, I'll never touch the book of Revelation, never touch the book of Daniel, none of these prophecies because people have drowned in the bottom of this pool here. I see some dead bodies floating around. I want to stay away from that. We don't have to do that. It's in the Word of God so we can study it, but we can always come up for oxygen with these main themes. But we're going to try to go a little bit deep today. And as we go deep, we're going to take an in-depth look today at evil. And I just want to say a couple of things first um, about this. All of this is still going to point to Christ. All of it's still going to point to Christ, even when we're talking about the Antichrist, even when we're talking about evil, we're still going to have everything point back to Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Um, We're not here to glorify evil. We're not here to make much of evil. We're here to see Jesus Christ, even in evil, even when we're talking about the Antichrist. We're here to look to Jesus Christ and him and him alone. Second thing I want you to know is that studying and preaching about Satan or the Antichrist or evil is a very biblical thing. It's a very biblical thing. Um, Satan himself is mentioned, I think, about 80 times in the New Testament alone. He's a, he's a very real adversary that we have. We can't just sweep him under the rug and say he doesn't exist. Many Christians are doing that. Um, there are, yeah, we could go on and on about that. But we need to know who our enemy is and just a scripture that we can look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 11. Um, let me get there. You'll get there before me on the screen. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, talking about Satan. It says that we are not ignorant of his devices or his schemes. Sad thing is, is a lot of times Christians are ignorant of the devices and the schemes of the devil. We need not, we need to make sure that we're not. We have a very real adversary who wants to kill you, who wants to destroy you, who wants to rob you of all sorts of things. We need to know about our enemy so that we can stand up against him. Um, And we have a great weaponry and Lord Jesus Christ by whom we can overcome uh, even the devil himself. But I just want you to know that it's a biblical thing that we're doing here. Um, In case you're wondering why are we talking about the Antichrist, this is a very needed thing to to discuss, to to study um, in the Word of God because much ink is spilt on evil and our adversary. So what we're going to do is we're going to just read the whole chapter, chapter 7 together. And this is going to be the best part of the sermon because you won't hear me preaching. It's just going to be the infallible word of God being washed over you. All of chapter 7, just to kind of get this whole chapter into us as we, as we're going to be breaking it down not only today but also in the weeks to come. Um, we'll just have this whole chapter wash over us. <clears throat> I'm normally in the NASB, but we had a technical issue. Um, so I'm switching to the ESV just for this. The rest of the preaching I'll be in the NASB. But the word of God says this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it, and behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, 
terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and wheels were burning with fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came as one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and, it, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times of the, in the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed in the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Amen. Amen. Um, 
think we can sympathize with Daniel losing some of his color in his face. Um, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the term Antichrist, even if you're not quite sure, you're thinking who it is or what it is or what's going on. You've heard the term Antichrist before, maybe in pop culture, maybe even the scripture itself, Bible studies, discussions, these types of things. Um, but you may be wondering, why are we looking and talking about the Antichrist here in Daniel chapter 7? John just read the whole thing. I didn't hear the word Antichrist even once. So the reason is, is because there is a figure in this chapter who was referenced, who many scholars, and I kind of even fall somewhat in this camp as well, um, believe that there is a figure here that is mentioned who is one and the same as the Antichrist. The Antichrist who was referenced in other scriptures, 1 John uh, chapter, or 1 John 1, or sorry, 1 John and 2 John. Um, and so at the very least, though, I would say, and I would argue, that this little horn is at the very least a type of the Antichrist. And if you don't know what the word type is, it basically just means foreshadow. There's many types in the Bible that foreshadow something that is to come. Um, it's not the essence itself. It's not the substance itself, but it is the foreshadow of the substance. An example is the Passover. The Passover lamb was killed, and they put blood on their doorposts so that the destroyer would pass over them and not kill their firstborn. This is a very clear type of our Lord Jesus Christ, who the Apostle Paul even picks up on in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Christ is our Passover lamb. Through him we keep the Passover. His blood applied to our lives causes the wrath of God to pass over us. We do not succumb to the wrath of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. His blood has been applied to our lives. This is a type. And so in a similar way, the little horn at the very least, I believe, could be a type of the Antichrist. I'm of the mindset that this might even be in reference to a future Antichrist as well. Um, some names that this person goes by or... Uh, power goes by is the little horn here in Daniel chapter 7. Another one is the Antichrist. First uh, John chapter 2 um, and 4 and 2 John um, as well. Man of lawlessness, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The beast of Revelation 13. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. And obviously there's a lot of differences of opinion. I'm just telling you where I'm at. Um, there are things that we can kind of relate to that have it speaks of the same thing, but it has many different names. And I was thinking New York City is one of these examples. We call New York City the city that never sleeps, the Big Apple, Empire City. Some people have just called it Babylon the Whore, and that might be even true. But nonetheless, it goes by various names, but at the end of the day, it is, we're all talking about New York City when we talk about it. In the same way, Antichrist might be the same one figure referenced by various names and titles um, and descriptions throughout the Bible. Um, so here, um, I want you to know, and I really want you to hear this as we go deep, um, and as Christians and theologians go deep, I'm glad that I'm coming off of last week's sermon when Isaac preached on unity because there are various views with a lot of things that are really in-house debates among Christians. There's still unity here. Believers who cling to those buoys at the top, the essentials, the gospel, 
We all cling to those, but when we dive down deep, we come to some different conclusions. And so with the Antichrist, some people have said this is Nero. In the first century, this is Nero. Um, the little horn is Nero. It's uh, an empire... Uh, uh, leader of the Roman Empire. This is somebody who is the Antichrist, and he fulfills it. And if you look in history, you see all of these things in Scripture fulfill, fulfilled fully um, in Nero. Some people say that the Antichrist is more of an ongoing system that isn't just one person found in one particular time and place in history, but instead it goes on throughout history. The Roman Catholic Church, some people have said, is the Antichrist. It's just, it's always here. It's continually throughout history, the Antichrist. Um, other figures as well, other systems as well have been labeled as the Antichrist. Um, some individuals uh, throughout history and modern history um, have been labeled by the church. They say this person is no doubt the Antichrist. Then they die, and then they're not here anymore, and then they have to switch to another person. But nonetheless, there's been a lot of talk about it, and some people, and this is where I lay my hat, I believe that the Antichrist is future, um, that he yet has not been revealed. We'll talk more about this in a little bit. This might be a little bit of a technical sermon. I'm still going to preach, so don't worry about that. I'm still going to preach, but I want you to kind of keep your thinking caps on as we go, and we're going to, like, bounce around, hopefully, with a lot of different scriptures. Hope you're ready to take notes, um, ask questions after. I really do hope this maybe does provoke conversation, that people can say, hey, like, what did you mean by this? And we can talk about it. There's various views in this church, even represented, even amongst the elders. Praise God for that. Um, but I'm going to make a case kind of from where I'm at. <clears throat> but we'll talk about some general things that also apply to everybody. So... Um, we're going to start in 1 John chapter 2.18, and it might be on the screen, it might not. I think I added this later, but it's just one verse. Um, but 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, just to get a little introduction. And then we'll go back to Daniel. John the Apostle says, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, plural, have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. And so this is going to kind of be helpful for us, I think, going forward, is that there's always some sort of Antichrist stuff going on. Always. From the time of John, he says, Antichrists are here now. They're already here. Antichrists are here now. There's an Antichrist, singular, coming, but there are Antichrists always. And so sometimes when people have maybe identified that's the Antichrist, I might say that's an Antichrist, but that's not the Antichrist. From my perspective, I would say that is not the Antichrist. There is a future Antichrist who will be revealed, and it won't even be a discussion. It's going to be very obvious to those believers who are awake. It's going to be revealed unto us, I believe. So, um, we're going to pick up at the four beasts, but just real quick, look at this image. Um, I have an image up there. Um, this might be a little bit helpful of the first four beasts that, the four beasts that he sees in this imagery. Um, you have up front the lion with the wings, um, and as we've talked about, this is representative of the Babylonian Empire. Um, this is the first kingdom um, mentioned repeatedly in the book of Daniel. Then you have the bear lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. This is often, uh, and we, we believe this is the Medo-Persian Empire, the empire that immediately followed the Babylonian Empire. Um, and then you see the, the leopard, multiple heads, wings, moves very fast. This is the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great um, moved fast, took over the world, and at his, very, at his death he's crying because he's no more territory to take over. He took over things very quick and was a very young um, ruler. And then finally, you have that mysterious beast in the back, which isn't really described, ten horns, out of which the little horn comes up. Um, this, we would argue, is Rome, um, but more on this to come. 
So look at Daniel chapter 7, um, and we'll just look at a, a few verses. Um, we're going to skip around in this chapter, but we'll start in verses 7 and 8. It says, After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out, pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering greatness. Um... We're going to focus first just on that last little phrase, the, a mouth that is uttering greatness. We're going to talk about that. Um, the NIV has a mouth that speaks boastfully. Um, the New American Standard Bible, a mouth that utters great boasts. Um, my favorite is the King, or New King James, which says, a mouth that speaks pompous words. So that's what we're going to go with, because that was my favorite of how the New King James translated A mouth that speaks pompous words. And we're going to talk about that primarily. We could easily talk about this being the 11th horn, um, which comes out of the fourth beast, which is the Roman Empire. And so perhaps this was the Roman Empire back in the day, or maybe there's going to be a revived Roman Empire later in which the Antichrist is going to come. All of that is super interesting stuff. It's for another time, though. Um, it's very interesting, and if you are interested in talking about that, I'd be happy to. But... That's not going to serve our purposes today. Um, I want us to think of and take note of some descriptions of the Antichrist and then see how much greater the true living Christ Jesus our Lord is. So he speaks pompous words. That's the first bit of information. And Antichrist, as you know, kind of, kind of just implied in the name, it's against Christ, the opposite of Christ. This is a being that is against Christ. And I feel like this fits in line with Satan very well because Satan is, I don't believe, has any creative power. I don't believe he can create something new that's evil. All he can do is take the good and holy things that God has made and twist and distort them and corrupt them and leave people in bondage and brokenness, enslaved to sin. But he's taking things that are good that God has made and twisting them and distorting them, making them into idols, all sorts of things. And so here, since one of the characteristics of Christ and believers is humility, it becomes plainly obvious that pride and arrogance would certainly be a characteristic of the Antichrist. If Christ is humble, gentle, lowly, it would stand to reason that the Antichrist would be the opposite of that, prideful, arrogant, wanting power that does not belong to him. Arrogance is what the Antichrist is about. Now, um, I want to just look at some passages on humility. So if you look with me at Luke chapter 18, um, in verse 14, this is Jesus' um, parable about some who thought that they were righteous in themselves, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Right at the end, after well, we'll look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Christian's call is humility. We follow our Lord humbly. We do not exalt ourselves before the holy God of all creation. We humble ourselves before him. But what we see in the Antichrist is exaltation, speaking pompous words, arrogance, pride, all of these characteristics of Antichrist. Um, Look with me at Psalm 138 and verse 6. Here, speaking about the Lord, it says, For the Lord, for though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Just to preach on that for a second, if you're here and you feel as though the church sometimes can be this intimidating thing, I need to be somebody who is something special in order to be noticed by God. I need to, everybody else here looks like they're all put together, but me, I know what's going on in my soul. Humble yourselves before the Lord and let him lift you up. He is merciful to all who call upon him. If you're here and you're feeling inadequate, come to the Lord humbly and let him exalt you. Many who are first will be last. Many who are last will be first. God is a God who exalts the lowly. And so be encouraged by that here today. But the haughty, the proud, the arrogant, the pompous, he knows from afar. And trust me, you want to be known near to the Lord. You want to be known near to the Lord. So as saints, may we be humble. Um, And I wrote down a couple things. uh, When music, entertainment, Politics, even sometimes religious activities becomes very pompous, very pompous. The things that we look to, music, I listen to some music every now and then, on, and I'm like, what is happening? And I know this is what my parents said to me when I was younger with the music I was listening to, but it's pompous, right? It's disgusting. It's pompous. It's all about me, pride, all of this stuff that is a temporary thing. I'm not going to put any hope in myself about jewelry, money, women, all this stuff, it's, it's going to burn. It's going to perish. All of these things, pompous things, pompous things. God resists them. James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Look with me at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 11. So that's the first thing. Antichrist is one who speaks pompous words. We'll look here at more descriptions about this little horn and this beast. Um, It says, Then I kept looking because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. So the next thing I want us to just notice is Antichrist will be destroyed. By the power of our God, by his power and greatness and magnificence, Antichrist will be destroyed. All evil and wickedness and abominations, all of these things will be destroyed by the Lord himself. Saints, I want you to know and understand that God in his mercy is wrathful. God in his mercy is wrathful. We were out on ministry uh, this past week, and from time to time you bump into some Mormons. Got in a quick conversation with them, got to share Christ with them. There's several things of disagreement that we were able to speak lovingly into them about, um, call them to the Lord. Um, But one of the things was that they believe that the wrath... The wrath of God is really something that is not of the Lord. 
They said that we believe that everything good comes from God, but wrath is really from the devil. This is false. Our God is a wrathful God. Nahum 1 verse 2, God is wrathful and avenging. Our God is a wrathful God, and I praise God that he is a God who will not allow evil to go on continually forever and ever and ever, but he himself will put a swift end one day to all evil. And can you imagine that when our Lord returns and destroys all evil, all iniquity, all antichrists, everything that is against our Lord will be destroyed. And I praise him for that. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. This is our mighty Lord Jesus Christ. Um, sometimes pop culture is describing as very weak and soft um, and unable to stand up for himself. Oh, thank you, brother. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Can you imagine that? Our Lord Jesus Christ coming and all of the evil in the world rising up against our Lord, kingdoms, powers, forces, authorities, demonic spirits, and Jesus Christ just simply steps into the ring and the fight's over. It's easy. It's not a battle. It's not like Jesus has to go 12 rounds and he barely comes out as victorious. He steps in the ring and it's over. With the appearance of his coming, Satan is destroyed. With the appearance of his coming, Antichrist is destroyed. All wickedness, all evil, by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that's good news to you. Is that, would you say that's good news, church? Our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a battle. It's easy for him. Evil is no match for our Lord Jesus Christ. Steps in the ring, it's over. As soon as he comes, all evil destroyed. And I praise him for that. I praise him for that. Our Lord is wrathful and avenging, and I am grateful that he is not a God who will allow evil to exist for all eternity. So, um, Christ our Lord is eternal. Antichrist is not. Antichrist will be destroyed. Um, and not only, and this is fearful, um, not only will the Antichrist go to the lake of fire, but also so will many and all who follow him. Um, basic logic, basic reasoning would indicate and imply that you follow who you follow, you end up going where they go. Car driving off of a cliff and you follow it, you're going to go where that car goes, and Satan has a place that has been prepared for him, the lake of fire. And it was prepared for Satan and his angels, but there are those who are following Satan in our world right now, in our churches right now, around the world right now, and they're going to where Satan is going. They're going to where the beast and the false prophet are going, the lake of fire, a place of torment, eternal destruction, the wrath of God. And that's a fearful thing to think that there are people who have heard our voices, who we've eaten dinner with, spent time with, people who are around us, our neighbors, who are following Satan and maybe are so deceived that they're not even really understanding it. They're going to where he is going. And I want you all to have a broken heart for that that I'm not losing a lot of sleep, that Satan is going to be destroyed. 
But I hope that we might lose some sleep that those who are following Satan are going to be destroyed, that are going to be under the wrath of God, the fiery torments of our Lord in the lake of fire. That should make us tremble in some capacities. However that emotion shows up in you, I believe that there should be something in us that God, hold back the sinner. Hold them back. They're on their way to destruction, but you have saved me from that. Praise you, Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. Our Lord Jesus Christ speaks about this very notion. Um, right after saying um, that there are those who he showed up to as the least of these, and they didn't do anything for him. They didn't feed him. They didn't clothe him. They didn't spend any time with him. They didn't visit him. And how terrifying. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. We're seeing some of Jesus's characteristics that go beyond the pop culture, soft and squishy, wimpy Jesus. Yes, he is very kind and merciful, but he is going to destroy evil, and sinners are swept up in that judgment and wrath as people who have disobeyed the gospel and refused our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fearful thing. So may we be cognizant of that. Um, but also I plead with you to focus on the eternal. The world is loud. The world always wants our attention. Focus on what is eternal. The kingdoms of this world are temporary and they will perish. And if you sow to corruptible things, you will reap corruption. Um, so let's look now more for a little bit more information. So we have, first of all, Antichrist speaks pompous words. Antichrist will be destroyed. And let's see what else we can find in Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. Thus he said, and this is an angelic interpretation of a vision that he saw in this chapter, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and he will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in the times and in law, and they will, begin, uh, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So we'll be able to get a few things, especially out of verse 25. Um, First thing I'd like us to notice is that Antichrist blasphemes God. You notice in verse 25 it says that he will... Speak out against the Most High. Antichrist blasphemes God, curses God, speaks out against him. This is always what Antichrist is about, speaking out against God, the things of God that are good and right and holy and pure and true, speaking out against them, blaspheming God Almighty himself as though God was somehow corrupt God was somehow able to be examined by somebody inferior saying, you ought to have done this better. Always, that is the mindset of Antichrist. Antichrist is, again, against Christ. Where Satan hates God, 
I want us to look to Jesus for a moment. Jesus perfectly loved his Father. Perfectly loved his Father. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he magnified God Almighty constantly. He obeyed God. He submitted to the Father. His love was exuberant for the Father constantly. Paul says in Philippians 2, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Some translations say like it was robbery. He wasn't out to try to supplant his father. He always was submitting to his father, loving his father, whereas Antichrist always wants to rise up and rebel against God and say, I don't want you to be my God. I want to be my own God. I want to be on the throne. This is Antichrist. And some of us have experienced that in just a very small level in ourselves. We, our flesh hates the idea that God is on the throne. I want to be on the throne. I want to make my own rules. I don't want any authority over me blaspheming God as though God was not perfect on his throne. Where Satan wants worship, we can look to Jesus again. Jesus is worthy of worship. The Greek word proskuneo, if you look it up in Scripture, you find a concordance. Jesus is worshipped, worshipped, even as an infant. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, the wise men come and they worship him. When he calms the wind and the storms and the sea, Matthew 14, 33, they bow down and they worship him. Matthew 28, verse 16 or 17 in there, the disciples worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's worshipped. The book of Luke, the book of John, worship. Angels worshiping Jesus Christ. He is worshipped. Satan hates God, and he wants to worship himself, but he's not worthy of it. He's sinful. Not to make this a Mormon disfest, but this just reminds me of the fact that the Mormons, again, when we, they talked about it when we were there, they, they believe that Satan and Jesus are brothers. He's not a brother with my Lord. He's not a brother with my Lord. He's a fallen, evil, wicked being, and he is not deserving of worship. My Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Scripture, is worthy of our worship. Praise his name forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. And so where Satan blasphemes God, another thing we can see is that Jesus magnifies his God. He magnifies God Almighty, his Father, and we praise him for that. Look at the heart of the Antichrist um, with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, and we'll read a couple verses from here. Um, we might look at 1, 2, 3, and 4. I think only 2 and 3... Three and four will be on the screen, but we'll start at the beginning of the chapter. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians 2, verse 1 through 4. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And even verse 5, do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? The apostle Paul is saying, don't be shaken in your composure. Don't, don't be stressed. You haven't missed it. Some things need to happen first. The man of lawlessness needs to be revealed. And we can get into that hopefully shortly um, and maybe even in ongoing discussions. Um, but you see here, he's setting himself up as though he is the object of worship. 
The whole world drawn unto him, he is finally saying, I am God. All of always trying to find worship in this time, I believe in the end, in the very end, there's going to be a final world sway that will go toward the Antichrist and this beast will be raised up. The whole world will run to him. We see it on lower levels, Antichrists, plural levels. Then a final level is how I view it. <clears throat> um, but maybe more on that to come. Next thing I want you to know, we've covered three things. Antichrist speaks pompous words. He will be destroyed. He blasphemes God. Next thing I want you to know is that Antichrist hates you. He hates you. Satan hates you. Satan wants to kill you. Satan wants to destroy you. Stop trying to be friends with him. Stop following him. He hates you. He wants to kill you. Get your head around that for a second. Satan hates you. Antichrist wants to destroy you. But many people follow him. Many people say, I'd rather follow anybody but God. You're following somebody who hates you and wants to kill you. My sister Jody, um, when we do street ministry, um, a thing that she often says is when people come by and we hear it a lot on the streets, doing, they say, hail Satan. It's like, God, have mercy on these people who are so deceived. And maybe they're just joking, half of them. Maybe some of them are legitimately, you know, Satanists. But she always says, you are hating the one who loves you. And you're aligning yourself with the one who hates you, who wants to destroy you. You're rebelling against, you're cursing the one who was giving you breath in your lungs, who was nourishing you, who has the desire for your salvation. And you're following the one who wants to drag you into the lake of fire with him, wants to destroy your life, ravage you with drugs, pornography, suicide, adultery, Broken homes, fatherless homes, misery, all of the things that go hand in hand with sin, deception, stuff that promises freedom, but it does not, it does not make good on its promises. We have a world right now where there's a lot of deception going on with gender stuff, abortion stuff. And there's always deception, but it's leading people to destruction. Millions upon millions, 65 million abortions around the world every single year. 65 million, nothing comes close. No form of death comes close. Look it up, there's nothing. Nothing comes close. Satan hates you. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill your children. He wants to kill you. He wants your marriages to be broken up. He wants you to cheat on your wife and go after that girl at your office who treats you maybe a little bit better than your wife seems to be treating you in this time. He wants that. He hates you. He wants our teenagers addicted to drugs, following pop stars, watching pornography, lost in these like virtual worlds where nobody cares about you. Are they my friends? I don't think so. Satan hates you. And so it says here in verse 25 of Daniel 7, he will speak out against the Most High and he will wear down the saints of the highest one. Some few different translations. This NASB says wear down. NIV says oppress. New King James. And the King James uh, say persecute. The NCV says he will hurt and kill the saints of the Most High. That's what he does. Um, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and Satan prowls around 
like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what he does. He's roaring around, seeking whom he may devour. So, to recap, and we'll get into some technical things in a second, um, Antichrist speaks pompous words, where our Lord Jesus Christ speaks gracious words. Our Lord Jesus Christ speaks gracious words, words of life, words of everlasting life, words of truth. Antichrist speaks pompous words. Antichrist will be destroyed. Jesus Christ, our Lord, remains forever. Praise God for that. Antichrist blasphemes God. Jesus Christ glorifies God. Antichrist hates you. Jesus Christ is the lover of my soul. He loves us, and he gave his life to save us. Um, Praise the Lord for that. So, we'll get a little technical here. Look with me at something. um, There's books and books and volumes and volumes, movies and movies made on something that we'll look at right here. The end of verse 25, he's going to speak out against Most High, wear down the saints of uh, the, the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for time, times, and half a time. Now, you might be like, what is that? Time, times, and half a time. Um, you might come into more clarity if you hear the term three and a half years. Three and a half years. So we have time. Many scholars, people would say that's a year. Times, plural. That's two years because it's plural. Then a half a time. So you have one plus two plus a half, three and a half years. A three and a half year period. Much debate over it. Again, many different views. Um, and I'm not knocking any of them. I have faithful brothers and sisters on various things. I can only preach what I'm convicted of, though. So I guess what I'm going to say is that this is three and a half years, a uh, future three and a half years um, that is yet to be in which um, we see in Revelation chapter 11, 12, and 13, the same time period mentioned five times. And it's mentioned as 42 months, three and a half years. 1,260 days, same three and a half years. A time, times, and half a time, again, three and a half years, all mentioned in the span of three chapters in the book of Revelation, speaking, I would say, about a time when there is going to be um, a final Antichrist. And so our brother uh, Isaac preached on um, the various views of um, the various views of the millennium last week. Um, he said there were four. And amen, there are four classical views. My hope is that I'm working on a project next year when Isaac preaches that, he'll talk about five views because I think I, I've been working on something I believe that articulates all of it perhaps a little bit more succinctly um, that I would say We won't talk much about that now, but I want to look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, um, at a time that I believe is when we would see this Antichrist arise. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. 
We read verse 8, 9, and 10, and we see that after Satan is released, what happens is he goes out and deceives the nations again, raises up this final battle of Armageddon and this war against Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ obviously easily wins um, without competition, but nonetheless, this is something that happens at the release of Satan. At the end of the millennium, there is a time when Satan is released. I would argue we're in the millennium now that we are currently in a time when Jesus Christ rules and reigns. Satan is bound from deceiving the nations any longer. The gospel is going out to the nations, whereas before it was salvation was of Israel, and there weren't very many Chinese people and Europeans getting saved. It was, you, it's Israel. Now the gospel is going out. The nations are no longer deceived. God is pulling people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue as the gospel is going out. I believe that we're in the millennium currently, but there's coming a time when Satan will be released and he will do a lot of damage. And I believe in that time period is when we would see the Antichrist risen up, a three-and-a-half-year future period in which there will be a final climactic version of evil of every sort a climactic crescendo of false religion. This is somebody that the world will worship. Even false Christians will worship. People who are right now currently among us might somehow on that day go after and follow after a false Christ, a crescendo of false religion, a, a, crescendo, a climactic crescendo of just straight evil, demonic activity. Everything that is against God will be on display as it has never been prior to the time of Satan's release. For the short time after Satan's release, it will be three and a half years of unparalleled evil. Final Antichrist is going to emerge. First John 2.18, always Antichrist, but there is coming a time when the Antichrist will come. And he always existed, but on that day to a final level. Um, and so in identifying, we've talked a lot about some general things. There's always something that we can know and understand and learn about Antichrist, which always is in the world. We've talked about those things. The Antichrist, I am not able to, to say. I believe that there will come a time when it will be revealed, as we read in 2 Thessalonians 2. There's going to be a revelation of who this person is. But we're not here to make any pointing fingers because... Again, it's happened so much throughout church history where people have said, that's the one, that's the one, that's the one. And then a generation passes by, and then they're, they're, they're changing their, their schematic themes. All I'm here to say is I believe that there is a time coming when evil will be on the rise farther than it's ever been before. After Satan is released for the short time, he's going to raise up the Antichrist. He's going to set himself up to be worshipped. He's going to speak pompous words against God like never before, blaspheme before, more than ever before, kill more Christians than ever before. But praise God that his time will be short. Because one of the things it says is a short time. It's a short time. God is supreme. God is victorious. God will destroy Satan and evil, and he will not be able to continue forever. His time is going to be short because we know that the Antichrist and the Satan are not going to influence forever. They're going to be destroyed by the wrath of the Lamb. And this is encouraging, but I want you to know that there's encouragement even in this, even in the terror of that time, whoever is around at that time. The fact that he's going to be destroyed is good news. But there's also encouragement in that he's with us even in the midst of it. 
He's even with us in the midst of it. Whatever we're going through, whatever you're going through, whatever battles that you are currently facing, Jesus Christ is greater than even these. And so I just want to end with an encouragement for you. And just look with me at 1 John chapter 4. Um, and we'll close with this. And we'll read verses 1 through 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We have a formidable enemy, but we have a greater God. We have a glorious God, a God who gives us victory, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And I just want you to be encouraged that whatever you're facing, whatever of this theology that we've been talking about, that maybe some of it will just fall down and God will use it later, don't feel overwhelmed at the study of some of the stuff that we've been looking into, but be encouraged with the gospel that because Jesus Christ came lived a sinless, perfect life. The Lamb of God, the eternal Son of God, came and dwelt among us, gave his life for us, was victorious over the cross, over his enemies, over Satan himself, and rose from the dead in victory, that there is hope for us. And we have a mighty Lord Jesus Christ who is greater than all. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, there is victory in the name of Jesus Christ. Because greater is he who dwells within us than he who is in the world. Um, and so be encouraged, saints. Um, we're going to sing to him in a minute. We'll take some communion. But let me just pray for us first. Um, Lord God, we thank you so much for your grandeur. We thank you so much for your love and your steadfast mercy upon us. We thank you so much for your greatness. You are our Lord, and we worship you. And God, we praise your holy name, and we ask that you would please be with us here today um, and continue to be with us here today. And be with us tomorrow and every day, Lord. Thank you that we are safe in your hands and that you've set your affection on us. Thank you that you have saved us from so great a destruction as we were following wickedness in the course of this world. But you saved us by your grace and you set your love upon us and your mercy upon us. Jesus Christ, so much better than anything else. Lord Jesus, you are beyond comparison. And we worship you, God. Um, Apply these things to our heart. Throw out what um, was not good and uh, save for later the things that um, maybe you need to put on the shelf in our minds right now and just teach us what our souls need from your word. God, we love you and we look to you. We have our eyes on you, Jesus, and we praise you today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.